what drew us to do this episode. We've had this through line through like all of the episodes that we've done, which is that there are no new ideas that get made. The only thing we do is make remakes and reboot franchises. And it's just funny that now we're just rebooting old relationships. <laughs> well, I mean, it's so, it's so funny that Y2K is in right now. Like there's Y2K parties and people are dressing like in Ugg boots and the whole thing. And like literally Benifer is back together. Yeah. That's in like Y2K is back. Like it's just like, <laughs> nail in the coffin like Y2K is that I know I was watching all the JLo music videos and I was like oh this is just what every woman in the East Village looks like right now <laughs> I was on McDougal last night and there was a woman in a whole white out like it, it was her Diddy years or she was dating Diddy but like the white crystal headband the white like the whole white outfit I was like oh JLo and she's like yeah you got it it's Britney bitch George Bush doesn't care about black people. Our ed education, like such as South Africa and uh, the Iraq, everywhere, like such as, and we sitting here, I supposed to be the franchise player, and we in here talking about practice. Ladies and gentlemen, we got them. Our next door neighbors are foreign countries. I call upon all nations to do everything they can to stop these terrorist killers. Thank you. Now watch this drive. Yeah, we're going to start recording. Um, I'm leaving. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> Because I insulted JLo. She's constantly reminding everyone that she's from the Bronx. It's kind of like a like a Dr. Dre style situation where you're constantly reminding people <laughs> of your authenticity. Don't forget about me. Like one of her albums is called On the Six. Yeah. Her best album, I think. I didn't listen to too much valuable. of the discography. Oh, okay. Classic. What album is Let's Get Loud off of? Also on the six. No, no, no. That's way later. Is it? Yeah. Okay. I think Let's Get Loud is her best song because I have a elaborate fantasies of one day doing some kind of combat sport like boxing or MMA or jujitsu or whatever. And my walkout song, instead of being some aggressive rap music, instead of walking out to DMX or Eminem or something, you salsa out to Let's Get Loud. And it's the <laughs> ultimate dab on your opponent. You think so little of them that you are just going to dance into the octagon to Jennifer Lopez. Did you know that that song was dedicated to every Latin neighbor I've ever had? <laughs> when I lived in the mission in San Francisco, everyone is having fun all the time. And, and I was just like the sad neighbor. Thank you so much for joining us, Tessa. Thank you for having me. I almost didn't want to ask anyone to do this episode because they would have had to have watched Gigli. I have a hot take. I actually thought, because I, I love pop culture and like I'm 30. So when my brain was most malleable was Y2K. So I know a lot about Benifer, but I had never seen, and then they, they make the joke in the movie, but like Jiggly is how I'd always pronounce it. And then I was like, mm. oh, they're literally like making that joke in the very like first five minutes. Mm -hmm. But I actually hot take, I thought Gigli was cute. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> It was like a 2000s rom-com, but it had like some sexual undertones which made it like a little bit more adult. It was it was more like complex and interesting of a rom-com than like you usually see. Wow. Well, that's good. We're going we're to get to have a dialectic on this show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because I think we both very much disagree with you. I, I watched it three times just trying to see, is this an impressionist painting? Like, is there something here that's meant to be bad and that I'm not seeing? And in the end, I couldn't find anything redeemable about this movie. Oh, really? But the 
majority is just like the ban like I mean like <laughs> the banter between the two of them monologues of abuse <laughs> let's get started so yeah we'll get into the movie second first we're going to talk about Benefer. hey everybody welcome to remember shuffle we're up to over 1600 plays man we're blowing up people are talking about remember shuffle on the streets my name is Ben with me as always is my co-host Jordano and joining us is Tessa an expert I assume on Benefer. I know probably more than you do okay nice <laughs> wow that that is an alpha move right there <laughs> so yeah let's talk about the OG portmanteau couple Benefer. yeah they're the first celebrity relationship to have their names put together like that you know we'd see Brangelina Hiddle Swift apparently Ariana Grande and Pete Davidson were called Grandson Oof. and Tomcat but they were the first and it, it's important that we talk about Benefer with this decade because it's almost impossible to understate how important this relationship was their love was greater than the sum of its parts I looked yesterday it was the only couple that I could find on Wikipedia that had its own article for the relationship so like Benefer has its own article right whereas normally that's like a section in Brad Pitt's Wikipedia article or something and so it really is its own thing and it's only it was an 18 month relationship yep. and yet it's the it was this like massively popular thing I, I counted 19 separate Us Weekly covers during their 18 month relationship my mom had four different tabloid subscriptions and I would always read them when I was in the bathroom and I remember just seeing like every cover story was like is their marriage in trouble is their marriage the greatest thing ever or their relationship why did they call off the marriage is is Ben drinking again yes <laughs> almost certainly <laughs> My life sucks. <laughs> what I <geez. laughs> What's that from? What's that? What's that clip from? That, 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 that's from Geely. That's, that's oh, a clip no. I'm gonna play oh, every yes, time yes, they yes. mention something pathetic about Ben Affleck. <laughs> My life sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and what I find kind of almost tragicomic about their relationship is that they, at the beginning, were very consciously managing the image, and I think it just became a beast that they couldn't control, and, and it destroyed them. Ben Affleck, when he was on talk shows at that time, got really depressed, especially when Gigli bombed, because he felt that he could sell tabloids, but he couldn't sell movies. That was what he brought to the table, was just tabloid energy. And it comes off a little rich, because early on in his wooing of her, before they were officially dating he took out a full page ad in the hollywood trades which is kind of like the inter-office memo of hollywood producing or whatever just complimenting her as a friend so they danced with the devil and they got burnt <laughs> i have a theory that before social media if you wanted to leverage your personal life to help your projects you had to basically do a bunch of interviews as a couple or take out a full page ad professing your love because you couldn't just post you know a selfie of the two of you guys together in love or something and so it was like a, a liminal space before social media where you had, to, you had to go to like Jay Leno and be interviewed by him in order to like drum up attention for a project. And it re really backfired on them because they became yeah. overexposed. Yeah, well, I mean, that's what the, the two of them will cite that as the reason they broke up with the media coverage. Yeah, it is the subject of the uh, Jenny from the Block music video. I don't know if you guys watched that. A million times. Uh, <laughs> ben kisses her butt on the boat. Yes. Uh, and unties her yes. bikini string. <laughs> Very sexy. Yeah. Let, let's talk about like why do you think people were obsessed with this this specific couple so much well I mean they're both gorgeous they were hot yeah that's I that's how I see it I'm like these are two of the most beautiful people in the world they're well matched and it's almost like watching the NFL is like this that's what's watching their relationship is like for love you get to see like two of the most beautiful people in love and that's the most idealized form of it and that's why it's 
so attractive. I, I pointed this out to someone and they said, oh, well, like Matthew McConaughey or Brad Pitt are better looking than Ben Affleck. And I was like, one, that's debatable. And two, you know, Ben Affleck's still the youngest person ever to win the Oscar for best writer. So he's also, you know, he's a writer, director, actor, you know, he's, they're both talented in many ways. JLo's a triple threat, famously. Mm-hmm. Ben Affleck is a triple threat with his mind. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? Unpack that. <laughs> he's a director, he's a writer, and he's a, he's an actor. Oh, okay, okay. Just yeah. not singing, dancing. Okay. I think part of the reason it was so big too was because they were seemingly mismatched. Like it didn't make, like they don't, they don't look exactly like they'd go together. And there's like this mystery. My, my, my mom agrees with you. I was talking to her about it and she was like, oh, well, you know, she's Hispanic from the Bronx and he's like Irish Catholic from South Boston. And, and they kind of seem like they're from different worlds, even though they're both from working class backgrounds. Yeah. And so it's, if you can imagine yourself in their position and, you know, the idea of star-crossed lovers is always very tantalizing. Yeah. And I think, I think you get both sides of the coin. So if you're like someone who looks up to the rich and famous, you get a fairy tale love story and you can project onto that. They're mismatched. They're beautiful. It's so nice. Yada, yada, yada. It also gives you something if you're a hater, right? If you are someone who has hate in their heart about celebrities. Ben Affleck, I remember a time before he was an acclaimed writer, director, where he was a very divisive actor because he was in terrible movies in the early aughts. And I remember so like his, his friend and the director, Kevin Smith, would defend Ben Affleck against the haters by saying the guy's a great actor he could play the shark in Jaws famously but if you look at like some of especially some of those early roles in Kevin Smith movies he did kind of play assholes with some regularity and yeah I mean if you were like some if you were some kind of snob you could say oh J-Lo is just a pop star she can't act or what have you if you were a hater this gave you something to talk about as well you could talk you could complain about how overexposed they were eventually you could relish in the fact that their love died right so as Mm. well as the fairy tale romance you also have like the schadenfreude if you are a hater. Gotcha. That's what Cardi B says. She's like, thank you to my fans. I love my fans, but thank you to the haters because they're the first ones to download the song. Talk about how much they hate it. Yep, absolutely. No such thing as bad press until it ends your engagement. <laughs> yeah, but even still, like they they made it back together. So maybe they just needed that 20 year break. Just a couple random tidbits that, about, about these people individually that I find very entertaining. J-Lo is rumored to have insured her own butt for $27 million. I feel like celebrities are, are kind of inherently narcissistic, of course, especially like if you work in Hollywood, probably. When Ben Affleck proposed to Jennifer Lopez, he apparently did all like the, you know, cliche proposy things like rose petals and candles and whatever. But he made sure to propose to her while her own song was playing. Yeah, he knows her well. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about J-Lo. So I think this section is very short because I don't, to me, it's like there's not much to say about her. She's hardworking. She's successful. She keeps on chugging. She's rarely involved in scandal, although she does, she does get engaged a lot. Um, <laughs> favorite thing to do. <laughs> I, I, I've heard from a lot of people that she's like a diva or a bitch, but I think she just has very high standards. Yeah, I mean, she she crushes what she does. She did the Super Bowl show a couple years ago, crushed it, did yeah. a good job. I was amazed at how many um, bangers she had. Yeah, and like, I, I love this uh, nice little symmetry. Like, the Super Bowl is one of the last things we all watched before we went into lockdown. And then when Joe Biden returned us all to normalcy, she was at his inauguration and she sang America the Beautiful, but just absolutely with her finger on the pulse of being like inoffensively lib like get, getting it just right she spoke the words to the Pledge of Allegiance in Spanish she said one nation under God with liberty and justice for all in Spanish and then she belted let's get loud in the middle of America the beautiful so just get like a li- a nice little bit of self-promotion in there with what I think is her best song <laughs> Let's get 
love J-Lo and I thought that was so tacky. I thought that was <laughs> the tackiest thing. Like you're in the inauguration, you're performing, you're singing America the Beautiful and you like cut it with one of your songs. So I understand what she was doing because she talks about it in the, the Super Bowl documentary on Netflix. Latin people should get loud and be heard. So I knew what she was doing, but I thought that was like the tackiest thing I'd literally ever seen. I mean, I would have preferred if she just skipped America the Beautiful entirely and just saying let's get loud the inauguration all right and now we'll get to our boy ben affleck <laughs> yeah. oh my gosh there is so much more to say about <laughs> j-lo so... but we can move on oh is there okay well yeah go for it i mean i can always cut that out please go off yeah i'm sorry our, our internalized misogyny is showing we had like three <laughs> things we had three things to say about j-lo it's like and now let's talk about the man <laughs> well i mean she's i don't i don't have any like prepared talking points but she's an icon she's a legend she is the moment that's what i'm saying it's difficult to say anything about her because it's like oh yeah you know her i know her she's great she just keeps being successful she's <laughs> one of the biggest stars in the world seemingly without any controversy other than the fact that she might have high standards and doesn't like to be looked in the eye <laughs> yeah, so what what is your favorite j-lo movie j-lo as actress j-lo as actress that's a good one i feel like i want to defend her in this podcast circle because she is amazing who's attacking um, her <laughs> Well, I said she, you know she continues. To I don't know. I just, I just want to, you know, I just want to like. We're attacking her by not know. praising her enough to get <laughs> It's attack by omission. Yeah, I think she is amazing. What's my favorite? I guess off the top of my head, I'd say Wedding Planner. I feel like that's a classic. Mm-hmm. But, and like, it's, it's what it is. Also, Hustlers was great. I thought it was crazy that she like, thought she deserved an Oscar. <laughs> that was like a big scene. Did you guys see the Super Bowl documentary? She talks shit about Shakira. So that's a little what? spicy. Which, and. And yeah, she just like really thought that she was going to get an Oscar nom. If someone says that, like people always love to say, oh, they deserve an Oscar. I think in order to make that statement, you have to pick the person who's currently on the list and be like, oh, this person, it, Doesn't, sh- it, should, be, yeah. it should be J-Lo instead of this other person. You know? Yeah. Just, I don't want to derail us too much, but sidebar about Shakira. Y'all know she's apparently going to jail as a tax criminal? <laughs> like... Yes. I've been listening to a song of hers every day on Spotify to help pay with the tax bill. Yeah. <laughs> Shakira's hips don't lie, but her accountant does. But okay, yeah. Any what what else what else is to be said about J Lo? I mean, if if she if she insured her ass for some large amount of money, then I'm sure it was a smart business decision. From what I understand, like five percent of the U.S. economy is J Lo's ass, so you know you got to insure that. <laughs> well, she did a lot for women before. Then it was like very much like Kate Moss, and then like to be able to even have like an ass and thighs be in fashion, that was J Lo, and right. like that has grown and become more and more acceptable for 20 years, and like. That was J-Lo. Yeah, it's become the mainstream now. Like, it is the, yeah. the primary thing. Well, like, yeah, you're, you're you're right. Like, in the 90s, it was, like, this heroin chic look. It, it's, like, shocking to watch movies and TV shows from the 2000s because everybody is so skinny to the point where you, you don't even see people like that anymore. Like, if you watch the music video from My Humps, which is, like, ostensibly a song about being curvy, but... by today's standards, they're incredibly thin. And it's just like, oh, at the time, this was, like, a voluptuous woman. There was a movie where J-Lo and George Clooney were, co-starring lead and they would light J-Lo in a specific way because she was huge Oof. and so they're like okay we have to like make her smaller um, and light her a certain way and so just so much has changed because like she she is the standard and she's changed culture in that way and I think in a good way for women yeah in this movie yeah she has a big butt but she also wears like low rise pants all the time I oh mean, my god I can't believe Woo! she can pull this off this is absurd 
That outfit, the first outfit you see J-Lo in and Gigli, worth price of admission. <laughs> that is a hot-ass body. I think it's largely a positive development, but I have I have read the take that it's just another different standard that is applied across the board to all women. And it reminds me kind of of the of the Tina Fey quote from her from her book, Bossy Pants, which I just pulled up, where she says, now every girl is expected to have Caucasian blue eyes, full Spanish lips, a classic button nose, hairless Asian skin with the California tan, a Jamaican dance all ass, long Swedish legs, small Japanese feet, the abs of a lesbian gym owner, the hips of a nine-year-old boy, the arms of Michelle Obama, and doll tits. The person closest to actually achieving this look is Kim Kardashian, who, as we know, was made by Russian scientists to sabotage our athletes. But in the lead up to that, she brings up either Beyonce or J-Lo, if so. I'm just saying it's a little easier to like, to instead of the standard being as thin as possible, sure. I know what you mean, but mm-hmm. like, it is more reasonable to like have hips and thighs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ass. No, it's definitely the better of the two options okay have we um have we praised j-lo enough can we move on <laughs> yeah we're gonna move on to our beautiful boy ben affleck who doing research for this i really think is like the most irish american man because he's the most successful person that I've ever pitied. And it's such a strange combination of getting everything you wanted and still being a tragic figure. My life sucks. I feel like there's been a trend in the last couple of years of celebrities actually being honest about fame. And it is not that, I mean, I'm a big, obviously Cardi B. I'm gonna also include her <laughs> as much as possible. She's like, it's not that, like, it's good because I can like help my family and I can have like certain opportunities and the, the money is amazing, of course, but like, it doesn't fix the problem. And I think Ben Affleck is like perfect example. Yeah. Yeah. So a little bit about him. Like I said, Oscar winner at 25 for writing, handsome, charismatic, but also a fourth generation alcoholic. And he's a theater nerd. Both of his parents are involved in acting or writing in theater. And he gets involved with J-Lo. At this point, he does a lot of bad movies. Just horrible. Daredevil. (laughs) One of the only superhero movies to fail. (laughs) 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 And just continues to put up these these absolutely garbage movies until he starts directing and he makes some amazing critically acclaimed movies as a director first for some boston movie i can't remember which gone baby gone gone baby gone sorry. That's it. Yeah. and then uh, he he won an oscar for argo his second oscar but while he's doing this thing that so many actors want to do which is get some kind of professional validation like winning an oscar or becoming a director at the same time that he's getting to the next level on like the maslow's hierarchy of needs he's also <laughs> just getting the world's worst tattoo on his back and having to go back to rehab that trip to rehab when jennifer garner had to drive her ex-husband to rehab but not before stopping into a, a drive-through awesome <laughs> it's <laughs> one of the bleakest scenes i've ever seen in my life <laughs> so bleak and yet involves the most successful gifted person in the world it's such a strange concoction his well, life. i think that's like an important note is just alcoholism is real it is a disease and um you can be famous for like it touches so many different all different types of people and uh you can still be like a very much addicted alcoholic and an oscar winner there are just little moments of self-sabotage for ben affleck that i again for the haters like when i looked at 
at the Benefer timeline, one of the stressors, as well as like too much paparazzi fame, everyone roasting Gigli. You also had, he was filming another bomb of the early aughts, the film called Paycheck. And he was filming it up in Vancouver and he got caught like going to a strip club with his friends. And it's rumored that he cheated on JLo with one of the strippers, which if true, is like a huge act of self-sabotage. And it, he maintained that he did not, but it's, uh, I think he has a very funny quote. It's like, what, can't a guy go to a strip club with his friends, you know, in this day and age? <laughs> Yeah, he's from South Boston. That's a cultural thing. Yeah, that's like him going to the museum. Yeah. <laughs> I love that back tattoo story because when pictures first came out, he was like, oh, no, it's for a movie. Come on, man. That's buying you, what, like a month at most? Right. Eventually. Like, we're going to find out. Yeah. <laughs> that's such a short-term fix. Oh, but he was saying that he got it for a movie? Oh, yeah. So the press was like, what's with this? What's with the world's worst what's tattoo the, being on your back? What's with the cartoon acid trip Phoenix on your back, Ben Affleck? And he said, oh, it's it's not a real tattoo. It's for a film I'm doing. Uh... But then, like, you know, six months later, he still has it. And they're like, oh, so it's, <laughs> so it's not for film is the film the beatles yellow submarine (laughs) i love that it's a phoenix too because you can tell that there was some kind of thought in his head where he's like i'm gonna get the phoenix tattoo and it's like me being reborn yeah i'm gonna rise and continuing to have the same problems that he had before the tattoo yeah which is hilarious because part of the phoenix mythology is that yes it dies and it is born and it comes back the same every time (laughs) it doesn't change or grow (laughs) so those are yeah those are our two dramatis personae of the celebrity couple they tragically broke up actually yeah we should talk about the, maybe their wedding very briefly because to understand the degree of paparazzi involvement they planned three decoy weddings in different states and it still wasn't enough because someone at the venue for the real wedding tipped off the press that's such a quick like that's such a you like you're going to get married and then you break up that's like such a quick transition well they postponed the wedding first they were like let's postpone it to a time when we can get together without the paparazzi knowing and then they, they broke up but then like JLo within six months is at the altar getting married to Mark Antony of their breakup so she moves quickly but yeah so we just wanted to contextualize the movie because their relationship was so important and it was a big draw for promoting this movie imagine seeing your favorite couple like I how I imagine Mr. and Mrs. Smith was marketed mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and they're also they're going to be in a rom-com together a movie that from what I've heard is you know was not entirely intended to be a rom-com necessarily what is it intended to be? It's supposed to be like a, like a t- Tarantino like crime drama. Apparently Ben Affleck oh, like, okay. found the script and to move the project along, which is hilarious because it's just another dimension of him being so smart and yet failing uh, so much. Yeah. Um, so before we talk about the movie, we just want to give a little spiel about mental health because the premise mm-hmm. of the movie is that J-Lo and Ben Affleck have to team up to kidnap and hold the brother of a federal prosecutor who is you know neurodivergent of some kind but the movie I, I only use that, that term which is very vague like I use it on purpose and it's because like the movie makes no effort at all to get into the, the type of neurodivergence that he has there's one reference to it made in the film and it's by the character um, himself and, and this is the line yes I'm my phone brain damage yeah I, I spoke with a good friend who works with with children with special needs and you are not supposed to use a kind of catch-all like developmentally disabled or call them special needs
these children, you're supposed to put the human being first. So you don't say autistic child, you say child with autism or child with special needs. And the way to talk about this in a humane and kind way is really to put the human being first and not define them by whatever condition they may have. Yeah, in the early aughts, they did not do this. And actually, I'm not even going to historicize it like that because there are films that are like Rain Man, for instance, has a much defter touch than this does. Same director or similar director even. But yeah, we're going to call the character MacGuffin because he essentially acts as a plot MacGuffin throughout the film. That's... Tessa, are you familiar with a MacGuffin? No. A MacGuffin is a plot device in a movie. Oh, interesting. It's an object that ostensibly is the thing carrying the plot yes. forward, but it's, it's not really. It's, it's just the surface level of what's going on. The thing itself, right. the MacGuffin, the thing itself has no intrinsic value, which is how this film treats this human being. <laughs> right. Like Ocean's right. Eleven, you know, the, the money in the safe or whatever is the MacGuffin, but like the relationships between the characters is are what the movie is really about yeah yeah Yeah, that makes sense yeah and so we're gonna call uh justin bartha's character in this movie mcguffin because the movie gives us no information to actually name him in any way right yeah if i had to take a crack at describing Gili to someone i would say that what if you took four different movies what if you took a buddy cop movie where two different people have to achieve a goal together a rom-com a gangster drama and also a film like rain man and you put them all in a blend that would be Gili. And also, it is the worst version of all four of those films. We, we were thinking about how to organize this episode. I think we are going to kind of just step-by-step step summarize the movie because we assume most people haven't seen it because this movie lost money. Most people didn't watch it at the time. I think the timing was really bad because it was it was like peak Benefer and then Gili came out. If it had been released a little earlier, it could have been monstrous. I, I don't know. I think it's I think it's pretty bad. I don't know if, it's, I don't know if this movie could turn a profit. So the movie opens with Ben Affleck at a laundromat in LA. And anytime you see a mafia member in LA, just turn the movie off. <laughs> the mafia <laughs> does not belong in LA. You see a movie set there like that, it's going to be stupid. And he's competent. He's, he shakes a guy down who owes his boss money. And then in the next scene, he meets with his boss and he's told that he's too soft. And he gets handed a huge assignment to kidnap the brother of the federal prosecutor yes. who's prosecuting one of the highest mob bosses in the organization. And so the thinking is that you know, if uh, Larry Gili kidnaps his brother, MacGuffin, you know, that they can extort the federal prosecutor. Ben Affleck in this scene and throughout the movie has some of the worst mobster hair you will ever see. It's like slick back. It looks like kind of like a helmet. It's It reminded me of the cartoon show Johnny Bravo from the 90s, the way it's like high yeah. and tight, uh, high <laughs> tight back. He looks like shit in this movie. And I just don't know how a director manages to make Ben Affleck not look sexy. He's clean shaven, his Johnny Bravo hair. I mean, he's also a repulsive human being. Yeah, the character too isn't character isn't exactly it's like toxic masculinity. Yeah, I mean, one of one of the things that this movie is about is toxic masculinity. He gets the assignment from his boss. He immediately just like drives over to the like mental health institute. And... Right, he, there's no like seeing the scene. Like, where does he go? It's just like people aren't going to know that he took him. <laughs> You know I know, he, just, he just shows up and he talks to him and he's like, hey, you want to you want to come with me? You want to go to the Baywatch, the Baywatch. Mm-hmm. which is MacGuffin's favorite show. And then the next scene, he's just driving away. <laughs> There's yeah. not even like a sneaking him out. Yeah, the first of many, many plot, plot holes in this film, film yeah. that you could drive a dump truck through. <laughs> 
Yeah. So on the way home, you know, MacGuffin's like, let's go to the Baywatch. And Ben Affleck, the first of three times in the movie, does this very patronizing thing where he pretends yeah. that a flashlight is a phone, which is what? stupid. While, he has a cell phone. Yeah. yeah. And then he picks up the cell phone five seconds later. So he could have just <laughs> pretended you were that ring ring with the telephone. Right. And goes, oh, the Baywatch is closed. Sorry. I just got a call. They said the Baywatch is closed. We can't go today. But then it's actually when your parents calls. say that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then it's actually actual boss calls and he goes yeah don't I just kidnapped him and the boss is impressed he's like oh wow that was quick he's as impressed as we are <laughs> and once he gets home you know he gets in a little fight with MacGuffin but he quickly settles it he's brushing up against MacGuffin in a very rough way because he's not used to sort of having to sympathize with anyone yeah Larry Geely Ben Affleck's Larry Geely goes from zero to ten in about one second throughout this film just way over the top reactions to the minorest little inconveniences and disturbances one of the the things that makes him so un unsympathetic. And then J-Lo shows up and asks to use the telephone. And she's pretending that she sort of lives down the hall and needs to use the phone. Yeah. And then it, why in the middle of doing that, she goes, I knew you were a fuck up, but this much of a fuck up? And it's like, what's what's leading you to make this statement? So far in the movie, we've seen Ben Affleck successfully shake down a guy and kidnap someone ahead of schedule. <laughs> well, maybe <laughs> she's saying that he shouldn't have let her in. Like, There's no so man in the world who's in. not letting J-Lo in the house. Yeah, no, that's uh, you can rob me. You can you can, you can you can you can pawn my TV. You can do whatever you whatever you want to my belongings, Jennifer Lopez. Right. It just seems sort of incongruous with the beginning of the movie because everybody treats him like a fuck up, and we only see him be competent. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I I think this scene is this way because of the one of the four kinds of movies that are in here. It's a combination of like a meet cute where we need to have some kind of conflict for them to overcome, and also the buddy cop where the the binary that they're going to establish is that J-Lo is calm, cool, collected. She does that thing movies do where she talks with big words, but also very slowly. And that's how you know she's smart. Let me say, having spent way too much time around grad students and academics, that's not how smart people talk. They're just like, they talk fast and they're, they just don't know where they're going. They just are frazzled all the time. And then Ben Affleck on the other side of the coin is way too emotional, not calm, cool, collected, methodical, toxically masculine. And of course, J-Lo, as we're soon going to find out, is gay in this film. So it's like they're trying like to a whole issue yeah yeah they're gonna try and do a buddy cop and a rom-com together and the reason j-lo is here is ben affleck's boss doesn't trust him to do the job alone and so he's hired j-lo as backup to make sure that he doesn't fuck it up i will say i agree with most of what you guys are saying about it being a bad movie but i will say there is sexual tension between the two of them that is very watchable and like she is so gorgeous in this always but like especially in this film and like when she's like lifting her leg on the couch it's like Ben Affleck's like and then even I'm like oh my god like so hot I don't deny that there's incredible sexual tension going that way from Ben Affleck to <laughs> J-Lo yes. yeah just the idea that she would be into him I was never believable because of so many reasons first and foremost that she's a lesbian and secondly that Ben Affleck is just one of the most repulsive human beings I've ever seen in a movie one of the first things to happen when she shows up is he starts yelling at MacGuffin for not what's the character saying remind me what the character saying Brian oh Brian most of the conflict in the movie centers around the fact that you know she's very empathetic to Brian while he doesn't know how to 
empathize with someone. What is it with you? No, you, you just go in and out, right? You're an idiot. What, is, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, get the fuck you doing, duck fuck. <laughs> Why don't you do me a favor and just act fucking normal for a minute? You're just like Elliot. Just you're for a minute. With that. Huh? Oh, okay. You're not like Elliot over there. I know you understand what I'm talking about. Just fucking be normal, telling, okay? Not you're fucking you're crazy. Normal. What am I smacking a fucking head? It's just hard to imagine that J-Lo is attracted to this person. I, in the gender politics of the film, like he is so toxically masculine, he thinks reading is gay. That's like essentially what the film posits because he doesn't own a book. When Brian asks Gili to read to him, and this, this, is, this is the thing that I remember from the trailers. This is like one of the big laughs of the movie that they put in the highlight reel. Because he has no books in the house, he reads the description and ingredients to Tabasco sauce. And this is meant to be like a big laugh in the film. It's one of their only functioning jokes in the movie. It's, it's a little bit of a breath of fresh air because at least there is like yeah. a comedic premise to it. And then like he like reads the toilet paper later. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so J-Lo and Ben then argue about who has the better gangster credentials in a horrible, horrible speech from Ben Affleck. So Ben Affleck starts starts going on and on. He's like, I am the fucking original gangsta's gangster. Mm -hmm. Oh, gee, I'm the bull. You're the cow. I'm the fucking salt in the slick. So like he thinks that he is the masculine he thinks he's alpha he thinks he's in control but at the end he's like mooing or whatever when they're in bed and it's like oh no like JLo has been in control the whole time one of the things that makes to me this movie so unwatchable is that characters just talk in monologues on several occasions very very long monologues and this like gangster discussion is another one of them where it's like this is this is not how human beings interact unless they're recording a podcast in which <laughs> you know you talk for a while and then pass the mic yeah Ben and I have a friend who wrote a book and then it was not great but like one of the things that i think are writers who are not very experienced do is just to write in monologues where they can espouse their own beliefs and that seems to be what this movie is doing a lot it's a lot of like i hope he doesn't listen to this podcast friend. <laughs> fuck martin breast he made a horrible <laughs> piece of shit movie and, I, and no 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 she's, she's talking about I'm the talking friend about, oh, fuck your that. friend <laughs> I was like, and you're telling the name. Jeez, okay. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's his fault. It's my friend is also Martin Brest. <laughs> <laughs> One of the major conflicts is, yeah, Ben Affleck is very convinced that, like, he's going to get laid tonight. He's so sure of it. He's in the bathroom. He's doing this horrible pep talk, which, again, oh I, he, he literally is, is such a Jersey Shore style gangster. He has a dumbbell in the bathroom. That he's <laughs> which seems light. But dumbbell yeah. seems well, light. Yeah, what's, I mean, what like, exercise I is he doing? He's doing sort of a curl, but he's. It's like a he one seems to be showing off his tries. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. gotta get those triceps to pop, man. It's a larger muscle than the bicep. Mm -hmm. But with like a five-pound weight, I don't <laughs> yeah. think that's really gonna do it. Yeah, while going off on his like bull cow analogy to himself, he's like, yeah. you, you want to see the horn? The, you know, the bull's got the horn. You yeah, he, the horn? He, th he thinks this is a, like a, a super deep observation about human sexuality. You know, there are bulls and there are cows, right? This is his whole take. So they have like a slightly flirtatious scene where he invites her to sleep in his bed professionally, and then and dropping the hammer turns out JLo's gay. Yeah, this oh, is okay. just when they're getting into bed together for the first time, and he's like, oh, yes, uh, yes, he's yes, wearing yes, a okay. kimono or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> She later wears a kimono too because she's so like peaceful and spiritual. Mm, right. <laughs> and she's like, I would do you big time right now if I wasn't gay. Yeah. Which if you're trying to communicate to someone that you don't want to sleep with them, I don't know how much telling them that you would fuck them big time and sleeping in their bed is helping you achieve that. But maybe she likes the chase. This is, yeah, this is the second film in which Ben Affleck needs to convert a lesbian. The first being uh, Chasing Amy. So. Right. Yeah, that's problematic. I don't know if that would be made today. 
like no. flipping like oh i'm gonna like flip this lesbian so christopher walken stops by in the morning he's a police officer who's on the case he's very diligent about finding out who kidnapped the i'm being sarcastic <laughs> okay <laughs> About who kidnapped Brian. And so Christopher Walken stops by, doesn't check all the rooms. He's just like, you wouldn't believe the amount of attention this case is getting. Then leaves and we never see him again. I love Christopher Walken, but that scene could have been cut. Yeah, like, 100%. Like, add, yeah. add too much to the, the movie. This is, yeah, this is like a like the room, just a plot line that is introduced and never, ever brought back up. I again. thought of the room as well. You know, when his mother is like, I have cancer, and then we just never see her again. That's yeah. what this scene felt like. Actually, American Psycho did a similar thing, but I think it was at least stylistic in that movie. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas this, he just is like, you better watch out. I'm looking for you. And then <laughs> never <That's> see. <laughs> and, and yeah, Christopher Walken has such a distinctive voice and like speech pattern. Speech pattern or pattern? Not important. And he delivers this line, but. Put down the Marie calendars. Yes. <laughs> Get me a big bowl of pie, some ice cream on it. Mm, good. Put some on your head. Your tongue would slap your brains out trying to get to it. Interested? Yeah. <laughs> like, like insane. I like that line. Like, I'm glad it's in there. Like, at least they're trying something. They're doing something. They're trying to make moves. Like there's some kind of originality there, which is a lot more than the rest of the movie can say about it. All right, Chris. Now in this scene, you're trying to intimidate this gangster <laughs> that you suspect. And the way that your character thinks to do it, he's going to be very, very horny for pie. <laughs> But the supporting cat, the supporting cast is strong. It's, you're just like, oh, Christopher Walken's in this movie. That's amazing. Oh, Robert De Niro's in this movie. Like, I, you know, he pulled Al Pacino. Ben yeah. must have pulled some. Oh, whatever. Um, same difference. Same uh, <laughs> yeah, you're like, oh, you're like, you're surprised. I was surprised. I was like, oh, okay, like it yeah, had well, some. This movie cost eighty million dollars to make, which is a hilarious. How much did they detail. make? They made like four. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah, it lost a tremendous amount of. Oh, they made seven That's on an. $80 million budget and that doesn't count marketing costs. Well, I rented it so I helped put some money back in. But I think a lot of the money went towards paying the actors because oh. the whole movie takes place in about three different rooms and I guess oh. there's a beach scene. It might also be a good time to mention the music in the movie in terms of what they spent their money on because all of the soundtrack entirely instrumental and it doesn't match the sometimes dark and gritty tone of the movie. You have Ben Affleck abusing poor MacGuffin. You have, yeah, later a, a character gets shot. You have, you know, the tension of the cops are on them but the music is just this jaunty Motown organ it's very very funny and the one thing that they did spend their money on for licensed music was when Brian raps at, at some points oh that was good I like <laughs> you like that eh that was cute uh, I thought he brought like a lot of uh he brought something like a different uh he brought a little levity yeah yeah a little levity well you, I, we're rooting for him I don't well, want to get ahead of ourselves you'll be happy but, to like, know that end. if you stay past the credits there's a another Brian rap song. Which oh, I, I did not, I did not see that yeah. Easter egg. I'll have to yeah. go back. I can only watch it for 23 more hours. So I have to hurry. Yeah. Okay, moving on. MacGuffin and Ben Affleck have similar conflicts in this movie. So the main way that they manipulate and abuse poor Brian is by telling them they're going to go to the Baywatch, which is where he thinks sex is. And he says that objectively. And Ben Affleck also wants sex, but it can't happen. So in that sense, it is, I think Jordana was the one who, who pointed this out to me. It is very much an incel movie in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, the central conflicts of two of the character, 
person that they want to have sex and can't and that binds them together you know ben affleck gives him advice on how to get laid but it's like that's not that's not a great conflict to base a movie off of it's like <laughs> well i think incels a little strong i think of the incels as like men who want to have sex but aren't and blame women for that which i think that is kind of ben affleck because he goes on a little rant about how he wants to but he can't and it's jayla's fault getting back into the plot they, they run into some loud teenagers and oh. ben affleck starts to get a little upset with them but jaylo says no we need to keep a low profile can't be starting a scene in public and then she promptly goes over there and threatens to pull their eyeballs out and then tells them to study hard yeah and... it is it is a six minute monologue where she has like a, a thai martial art that has a crazy name for a move where you yeah you gouge someone's eyes out but in so doing you rip out the nerve in their brain associated with memory so not only are you blinded but you lose your memories and it goes on and on for like not even joking i think it's six minutes long and these teenagers just listen and then when she's like study hard they're like okay yeah they listen politely if j-lo told me to study hard as a a youth i would probably have listened (laughs) Uh, but then before leaving ben affleck grabs one of their laptops breaks it over his knee and says nice computer is suckmydick.com Which is like that is uh, such a Y2K comeback. That's like a Dennis Leary line or something, you know. Yeah. He's not even familiar with the idea, like what a website is. He's like, oh yeah, it's fucking suckmydick.com. That's the only way I can conceptualize it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, J Lo explains how males not experiencing their feelings leads to them lashing out at others. And she says that Larry is very sad. And that is probably one of the only good parts. It's a good idea, especially in 2001 to do a movie about how guys are sad and can't talk about it. The Sopranos is based off the similar a similar premise. But they just, it's the like the world's worst execution. Yeah. yeah. Sopranos was a little bit more subtle. <laughs> Which actually, you can kind of appreciate the unsubtleness of it. Of like, guys should have feelings too. I'm like, oh, okay, J-Lo. Like, that's a good point. Thanks. The problem is though, the, there's one scene in the movie where, where Ben Affleck does talk about his feelings and he says he's sad. And here, I'll play the clip uh, right now. You know something? You're right. It is sadness. It's sadness, and I'm fucking sad. You got me. You're a genius. You know why I'm fucking sad? Because I got this fucking beautiful, sexy, gorgeous, heartthrobarama, fucking smart, amazing, bombshell, 17 on a fucking 10 scale girl, sleeping in a bed right next to me. You know what? She's a stone cold dyke. A fucking untouchable, unhavable, unattainable brick wall fucking Dicosaurus Rexi. So it's sad, okay? What do you want me to do? I feel fucking sadness about that. It's nothing I can fucking do. Not only is she a major babe, but I really like this girl a lot. A lot. I mean, she's not like anybody else I ever knew before, and that's a completely fucking new one on me. And I don't even know a real fucking name, so there you go. Oh, and in case you're interested, my life sucks. All right? Stick a fork in me, I'm done. So 
So the one scene in the movie where he talks about his feelings is him saying, I'm horny. Like, I want to fuck you and I can't. That's the extent that he encounters his toxic masculinity. It's like, okay, I admit it. I want to fuck you. You got me. This is him changing to become a less toxic person. It's, it's yeah, him. baby steps. <laughs> <laughs> like, That's all I he just... can get to. Of course, it's pretty obvious that there's more going on than he just wants to fuck. The character just wants to fuck. But like, that's all he can do. Of course, there's there's more there's, sadness. Like, yeah, he doesn't have any friends. Yeah. Right. And he goes into it a little bit. He's like, my life sucks. Like, after, you know, towards the end okay. of the like, <laughs> He says, my life sucks. <laughs> Damn. If yeah. only we had a society where men could say their life sucks more. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's I just why the monologue is so long. Like I started talking as he played it because I assumed it had to be over. And like, I don't know, if I were a script doctor and I were looking at this, I'd be like, okay, a couple notes. Maybe we could drop one of the two homophobic slurs in the monologue. Just, yeah, you know, just have one. You just know. one. Maybe it could be the fun dinosaur one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, you know, when he's just listing adjectives, heartthrobarama, it's just a chain of like five, six, seven. I was like, that's a little fluff. You know, good things come in three. We can get a nice little rhetorical uh, flourish of threes and then, you know, move on. Mm-hmm. But I will say what he said was very flattering. And like, <laughs> if a guy were to say, oh, not, you can't, not the whole thing, but like <laughs> where he's like, you're 17 <laughs> out of 10. Like, that is nice. It's like, a, he's like, you're smart, you're funny, you're beautiful. Like, those are nice things. That... Yeah. And everybody but knows weird if you say is. nice things about a woman, she has to fuck you. <laughs> No, no, that's not what I was saying. But it is nice to hear. Okay, so this was this sort of won you over. You think there's there could there's some uh, truthfulness to the way that Jennifer Lopez reacts to this speech, which is to become attracted yeah. to him. It's very flattering to like again, not the whole thing, and like he should not be trying to convert or flip a lesbian. Like that is very pl- problematic, of course. He's like, you're a bombshell. You're hot. You're like all these things. It's nice to hear. You're a 17 out of 10. Right, but hear that. Th- the assumed problem that she has with Ben. Affleck in this movie is that he's a caveman, right? Like he 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 doesn't have any empathy or, or anything. Emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence at all. And so the the way that she would become attracted to him is for him to fix that about himself and not through flattery. <laughs> the fact that she's won over by flattery and not him getting into being like, you know what? I'm mean to people because I feel unlovable. And just, you know, the idea that anybody would like me is is incomprehensible to me. And I lash out at other people and I, I, I use my violence on people every day. And that alienates me even further. I, I, I need something to humanize him that isn't, I want to fuck you and I can't. That's, it's just the shallowest emotional vulnerability that he could he could do. And I'd argue that's not even the truth. He's saying that that's why he's sad, but I have a feeling. And we don't know because <laughs> no, the movie doesn't like, we don't know because we, we don't get a lot of backstory on him. I thought Christopher Walken was a dad. I don't know why I thought that. <laughs> um, that's how little we know about him. It but, certainly makes uh, a lot more sense that way if he is his dad because it would explain explain why he never shows up to investigate further. No, he's just, he's a, he, this is an ACAB movie. He can't do his job because he's eating too much pie. He's always <laughs> down at the diner eating pie. Yeah, he's also an incel in this movie. He's just fucking pie. Yeah, I'm excited for uh, Gili 2. Gili goes to therapy where we can really unpack his childhood traumas to see why. He's so sad. Then he's going to finally get the, they're both going to get Oscars for Gili yeah. 2, I have a feeling. Oh my God. No, they need to reboot this now that they're back together again. Now that Benefer 2 is in, is in Switch, we need a Gili too. The people are clamoring. If there are any directors listening out there, Martin Brest, we know you're listening. <laughs> if you want to redeem yourself in Hollywood, the way to do it is to make an amazing Gili too with 2024 sight about what didn't work about the original, i.e., mm. everything. So. <laughs> yeah. 
so anyway, in the movie, the next stop is is off to Larry Geely's mother's house, who's a very open. Oh woman. yes, <laughs> I loved her. Big fan. Yeah, she's 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 a fun gal. I think this is a little bit of reality trickling into our fiction because apparently Ben Affleck proposed to J Lo at his mother's house. That's where he did it. So I think Ben Affleck is probably a bit of a mama's. Again, I think that's another like very strong supporting cast. I don't know her by name, but she's in my Big Fat Greek Wedding. She was great. Like she's a great actor. You you kind of forget that like you like oh she that is, really good. is Ben yeah. Affleck's mom. Right. She's great. A lot of the supporting cast is really great though. That scene with her is another breath breath of fresh fresh air for sure. Totally. We're like oh the good oh, I feel like I'm in an actual movie for a second. Like, yes. Okay. <laughs> and do you see her thong or do oh, I like yeah. have a, like a fever oh, yeah. dream? That's wild. That I was thinking six months ago. I'm like oh so much of Y2K fashion is coming back, but I haven't seen seen it in any like, whale tales. And in the last three months, I've seen at least eighteen oh, whale tales. <laughs> We're on the Met Gala red carpet, so they are chemical. They're coming really? back. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah, the whale tails are coming back for sure. Okay, the problem with the mom scene is that it totally undercuts the the flip a lesbian plotline because she she says like, well, you know, human sexuality is a spectrum. She she practically almost says that, which you know is ahead of his time for the mom character in two thousand and two or whenever they were filming it. But she like asked J Lo if she's ever been with a man, and I think she says yes. And so it's like I don't know. I feel like it kind of under undercuts that central tension right it seems like she i mean this movie goes out of its way to explain that sexuality is fluid when it comes to a gay person being with someone of the opposite sex but not it wouldn't it wouldn't apply to ben affleck being with a man or something you know they don't make that implication they agree with you but they have to cut it because they have to end up together so mm-hmm. there has to be some trickling of like it's a possibility that they could get together yeah right. so we get back to larry Sheely's beautiful apartment and j-lo is doing yoga oh favorite scene <laughs> tessa you thought this was a very hot scene and I did I thought it was hot I was amazed because when I was watching this I was like it's amazing that they got JLo to do yoga and athleisure and I've like never been less attracted to her in my life because shut up oh my god because the dialogue that's happening no 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 no. it's not a dialogue it is two consecutive (laughs) monologues two extended consecutive monologues Ben Affleck goes on a long speech about the penis and how it's about progress and you know moving forward the phallus is about punching the sky <laughs> the penis that's right very design tells you everything you need to know forward motion advancement fucking progress into the dark deep mysterious unknown and then J-Lo goes on her monologue about her pussy yeah. and it really uh, does hinge on the fact that the, the noun lips could be used in two senses firm delicious Lips, sweet lips, surrounding a warm, moist, dizzyingly scented mouth. That's what everyone wants to kiss, the sweet, sacred mystery between a woman's legs that I am proud to call my pussy. Right. Both of them were such garbage fires that I couldn't get into the scene sexually at all. For me, it's just like looking at JLo's body. Like that's enough to, like I, yeah, maybe I'm like a guy in this sense where it's just like, I can like, I can block out the words and just like, like the opening Mm. scene where she's holding some crazy yoga pose and it looks like her. It doesn't look like a stunt double or anything. Just like impressive. You're like, damn. (laughs) Yeah, maybe if I, I I should watch the scene on mute, maybe. Yeah, Yeah, there you go. Her physical self and their sexual chemistry 
like you're like okay this that works for me like that's porn like that's more exciting to me because it's like the tension again to buy into tension i have to believe that j-lo wants to sleep with ben affleck she does yeah i, I have to believe it is the problem mm, and you don't i don't believe it in this movie certainly not he looks like shit he's incompetent he is a uh, abusive you know, <laughs> abusive i just i haven't yeah, but... i haven't found a reason for her to be like you know what this guy actually hidden under all of this like rough exterior there's there's a very sweet sensitive soul they do they do nothing to to give that to you and so yeah i just want to bring it i looked for positive reviews of this film on imdb it was very hard to find them but one of them i want to read they write quote some scenes hurt like hell to watch some scenes are just plain boring but every so often a scene comes out of nowhere and surprises you with this wit and inspiration take a scene where j-lo argues the superiority of the vagina to the penis as a sexual device it's quite possibly one of the most hilarious yet erotic monologues i've ever heard i wrote that review <laughs> that was me <laughs> Oh, and, and, and this person follows. This is how you know their tastes are garbage. And I don't even think J-Lo is all that sexy. <laughs> okay, that wasn't me. Take yeah. it back. That wasn't me. Tessa actually recites that speech before she has sex every time. In yeah, full. In, the mirror. <laughs> in, the in, mirror. My, in my kimono. You're doing the bull speech that like Ben Affleck does with the dumbbell, but you're just doing that to yourself. Yeah, you know. totally. Every morning. <laughs> every morning. I so, feel like the kimono, I should, I should acquire one. That seems like a good form and function garment for sleeping. You got pockets. It's one. You don't need mm -hmm. a, like a t-shirt and pajama pants. Just one thing. It's that's true. Feel like a samurai, you know. Mm -hmm. Okay, so then Larry Gili he gets instructions that he is supposed to cut the thumb off of Brian, and they're going to mail it into the federal prosecutor just to let them know that they mean business. And in the morning, J Lo's ex shows up and uh, makes a lot of sexual remarks that they're all going to fuck. For a second, I did get excited about that. I'm like, okay, maybe we're going to get a nice little threesome scene here. <laughs> And she, I'm like, it immediately does not go that way. She threatens to cut her wrists and... She does, right? Well, she threatens to do it and then immediately does it. And that was very shocking because I feel like we see people threaten to do it a lot in movies. I've never seen someone actually do it. And she just does it immediately like without hesitation. So then this gets them to go to the hospital where Ben Affleck sees J-Lo telling her friend it's going to be okay at the hospital. Girlfriend. Yeah. Just exhibit basic human in kindness <laughs> yeah and Ben Affleck's watching her from the car going damn she's the greatest woman I've ever seen in my life uh, look at the way she's consoling her ex-girlfriend who tried to kill herself <laughs> I get the sense that uh Larry Gili is not the type of guy who is friends with any of his exes so this is probably truly mind-blowing so then she gets back to the car he says listen we're supposed to cut off Brian's thumb like what are we gonna do and she's like let's not do heartbreaking. it heartbreaking heartbreaking yeah because I this love point, Brian they have a relationship everyone loves Brian yeah, yeah. and they're like you know that's not gonna happen or you hope it's not gonna happen right so they break into the morgue together and Ben Affleck cuts the thumb off of one of the bodies there with a salad knife like a plastic knife that someone has left in the morgue room someone was eating their lunch in the room with all the bodies <laughs> or at least they put the food there to keep it cold and, <laughs> and he's using the plastic knife to cut the thumb off now you dear listener might be thinking to yourselves but wait fingers have prints on them isn't this like a huge major plot hole and don't you worry the movie will address that also they spent it in a t in a like a paper envelope i feel like blood or like humanly something would seep through like there's no plastic they like got just like right. the cheapest envelope yeah. possible and they just threw it in at the <laughs> post office yeah where j-lo has fucked the clerk 
Well, also, I mean, especially like going back to more hospital scene too, it's just, I would say like the anti-feminist thing is just like JLo's power comes from her sexuality. Mm-hmm. And like, that's how she gets like distracted or that's how she gets help or whatever. And it's just like, okay, well, maybe that's like the Y2K in it. But it'd be interesting to see her get power in other ways. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The movie is very vague as to what either of them do. They even have a conversation about it where she says she's a contractor who does jobs of various kinds or whatever. You know, and that's classic gangster mobster, you know, this thing of Oz type of stuff. But at least Larry Gili, we see him extort someone. Whereas, yeah, as you say, like J-Lo just kind of flirts and seduces her way to problem solving in the film. So this is actually where they've just mailed the finger in and this is where uh, Ben gives his big speech about how he's sad. You're right. I'm fucking sad. My life sucks. Okay. <laughs> Stick a fork in me. I'm done. So they get back home and she's so impressed at his, you know, emotional sensitivity. And his vulnerability and the, <laughs> the intimacy they have. Or as Tessa said, just the fact that she was flattered. <laughs> that she's like, let's, let's, you know, she starts kissing him on the, on the mouth, on one of her mouths. And... <laughs> <laughs> she's pinching his nipples and you know she tells again the power dynamic they're like flirting with the power dynamic yeah so in, you know some people interpret this movie as Ben Affleck trying to convert a lesbian but I actually see it as uh, a little bit differently I, I see this movie actually as J-Lo turning Ben Affleck into a woman she's still a lesbian in the context of this movie but she has changed the gender of Ben Affleck you know she's... or it could just be like <laughs> sexuality and no. it's like complex and like people can top and bottom and all kinds mm-hmm. of things even if you're straight or there's there's or so something. much in this movie though that that is sort of indicating that ben affleck or wants to be a woman or is a woman in some way like even like the title of the movie right like it's his last name which is gili but everybody interprets it as giggly which is sort of like yeah. a feminine you know word jiggly it, re- it recalls <laughs> curves voluptuousness exactly and so it's in the title of the movie you know he's getting his nipples pinched when they're having sex uh, so they fuck in this scene she's she's like holding you know his hands down she's on top she's very much sort of dominating him he just lies there flat yeah he's just <laughs> and at the end he's sort of cuddling her and he and he he says moo but he's the cow yeah he's, become... he's become the cow she's the bull but the movie has also transitioned from a gangster film to a rom-com the movie itself has become <laughs> feminized <laughs> right exactly so in in the same way that ben affleck has become feminized i throughout the movie the the film itself has become feminized from being a tarantino movie to being a uh, a rom-com so there's multiple layers of the through line of this film which is the idea that like men can become better by being feminized it's it's really like a very deep movie very misunderstood in this scene we do get the most memorable dialogue of the entire film so just to, to contextualize this throughout the movie ben affleck keeps telling her that like think you know what sex is but like you know you need a man to make you feel good you have no idea what sex could be for you and so in this scene she's inviting him to go down on and uh, this is how she does it where are you going it's turkey time huh At which point he backs out. He's like, no, I can't do it because I know I'm not going to be as good as any woman that you've ever been with because I don't I don't have the same knowledge that they do. The intimate arcane secret knowledge. So he talks a big talk. I can relate because I have never come from a guy eating me out except for one time when it was a woman. <laughs> can we just pause on turkey time, gobble, gobble? This, uh-huh. this line should be up there with all of the iconic lines of 20th century cinema. This should be up there with we're going to need a bigger boat from Jaws or I've got a bad feeling about this from Star. 
Star Wars or here's looking at you, kid, from Casablanca. It's it's beautiful. Turkey time, gobble, gobble. This is this is how I'm going to psych myself up in the future. <laughs> it's one of the most unappealing invitations to go down on Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty cringy. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty cringy. And the way she whispers go- gobble, like I got a little, I got some ASMR tingles when I was hearing it all on the on the headphones just now. She whispers a lot in this movie and it's never enjoyable. Because she needs to be the opposite of Ben Affleck. She needs to be quiet since he is loud. Right, yeah. He's gay, he's straight. And then while they're having pillow talk after sex, she says, I'm, I'm going to leave town. I'm putting all of this behind me. I'm, I'm, I'm on a new life. And Ben Affleck goes, yeah, actually, I'm going to leave too. <laughs> so, you know, they're sort of planting the seeds that these two are maybe going to want a different life after this is all over. Yeah. Well, he's just like, he's so into her. That's like how into her he is. Is that, you know, he wasn't thinking about moving. And then he's like, yeah, okay. Like, yeah, I'll move. Like, I'll move with you. Basically. I'll walk away from being a gangster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, he wants to walk away from being a gangster. And I wish they would have fleshed that out a little bit more because it would have played to the idea that Ben Affleck has changed and become better over the course of the movie. He's been redeemed by being like, actually, I don't like what I do. It's violent. It's, you know, it, it alienates me from everybody. But, you know, it, it, so much of this speech is actually just like, I want to continue fucking you. It's not about like, oh, I want to get away from this life. That's so, what the motivation seems like. Yeah. So the next day they meet with Al Pacino. Yes. Who is the big mafia boss, the one they're doing this for. You know, he's the one that the federal prosecutor is going after. Jonathan. Also important. It's Al Pacino with a man bun. He has like a gray man bun in this movie. Yeah. And he's literally insane. Yeah. <laughs> he's, I, I mean, he's, he's a mob boss. He's the the Alice Pacino that maybe possibly. <laughs> <laughs> is that a sexist joke? What? No. What is Alice between? Yeah, but Al- Alist, like the the best, like at EST, at his most. Oh, okay. yeah. He is yeah. at his most Al. Uh, right. Yeah. Or yeah, maybe he's feminized in this movie. He's become <laughs> Alice Pacino. <laughs> Again, having him in the scene is such a breath of fresh air. Like it, it really shows you what a great actor he is because for a moment you're in a real movie. Like you're in a scene that mm. makes sense. The actors are, seem to be feeding off each other and it, it's good. The problem with the scene is that Al Pacino undermines the entire plot of the movie. <laughs> yeah. He points out that if you kidnap the brother of a right. federal prosecutor, this is not going to accomplish your goals of, of getting the person who's being prosecuted off. It just yeah. doesn't make any but you, sense. Uh, but you assume that those are top-down orders. So right. it's not like that guy would just randomly come up with that as a plan without talking to Al Pacino first. Yeah, it makes no sense at all. Yeah, as I said, like this movie has a whole bunch of plot holes and that's fine. I don't need perfect verisimilitude in my movies. I can suspend my disbelief. But what enrages me is when a character in the film points out all those plot holes to me. It, right. it, would, be, it would be like if in Star Wars, <laughs> someone said to Darth Vader, like, man, we forgot to put the grade on the thermal exhaust board, eh? That would have that would have kept the whole thing from going. Right. Ben and I were joking that Al Pacino, when he got the script, was was asking for the premise, and they t- his agent told him, like, oh, the premise is that someone kidnaps the brother of a federal prosecutor to get him from not uh, prosecuting you. And this was his reaction. You don't try to extort a federal fucking prosecutor! And if you do, you don't Fuck around! He does more acting in that line than I think Larry Geely does in the entire film. <laughs> that could be where the movie started. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
let's make a recut of the director's cut and it's just the Christopher Walken scene and just the Al Pacino scene. And the mom scene. <laughs> and the mom and, scene. Yes. And the yoga scene. It's funny because, and oh, you're keeping in the yoga scene too, eh? I love, hey, I'm, I'm only human. I'm going to demand, I'm going to demand turkey time gobble gobble stay in the movie. This <laughs> It's funny that this movie was pitched as being the Benefer movie. It's like the reason you'd want to see it is to see the two of them act together. And the only scenes that are worth watching are the ones that have other actors in it. <laughs> What do you think Al Pacino's reaction was to being presented with this script? I guess it would be more like a call from his accountant. <laughs> My accountant just told me that I need to do this movie for $40 million, one scene. I can't say no. Another gangster picture. But this one is sensitive. I like it. <laughs> this one is a love story. And she's got a great ass. I just like to imagine Al Pacino sitting through the premiere. Like, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like he he didn't read the script. He only read his one scene. He probably <laughs> showed up. He showed up for he showed up for one day of shooting. He did his scene. He had no idea what the rest of the movie would look like. He's watching this thing, just going, "I got the worst fucking agents. <laughs> I have the worst representation in Hollywood." <laughs> Yeah, and this this is like the big intense climax of the film because that mid-level gangster that hired both Ben Affleck and J-Lo gets shot in the face. And so our our characters are in danger. Uh, yeah. But luckily... Well, and what a bad middle manager. He's hiring yeah. two people for the same job. Like, just that's such a... Like, he should die because yeah. that's poor management. The, yeah, the, the neoliberal reforms of the 90s really hit the mafia hard. You just you really <laughs> had fewer enforcers at the bottom do, expecting to do more and more labor. Really contracted gig economy workers were asked middle managers of the mob balloon thanks to what Clinton did. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, you had a lot of vice presidents in the yeah. mafia. <laughs> so then he turns his attention to two of them and he's like, I think I'm going to kill you too. And J-Lo gives him masterful speech. You know, one of, one of the greatest speeches in movie history. I think I much prefer just to, you know, end it right here. If you think that's the best tactic to keep you out of jail, if you think that's any less dumb than asking to have his finger cut off, well, then that would be the thing that you should do. But if you don't, then let us take the thorn out of your side. Let us make sure that kid will never be able to testify against anybody. And if after that you're still not happy, then we can all talk again. Again, we're scared for our beloved protagonists, but as she talks, we have like ukulele lullaby playing in the background. <laughs> I was just like, just kill them, please. <laughs> put, the, put them out of their misery. You know, this, this movie is over two hours long. It does not need to be. Yeah. Oh, and in case you're interested, my life sucks. <laughs> so they're let out. Al Pacino lets them go, and they go to the Baywatch. Or sorry, they're driving Yay! home. They're driving Yay! home. And they, they pass by some, some kind of movie set and brian is like hey look there's people filming like something on it's the baywatch it's there the thing i've wanted the whole movie it is there and so ben affleck's like no nah, we can't go and j-lo sort of pushes him to go and so they go to the baywatch set and they drop off brian and he he talks to a lady about the weather so, yeah you know, he has also grown from his experience with the gang he uses ben affleck's advice to hit on a woman or at least speak to her on set and the woman has an australian accent Australian accent. 
said. I was like, what a nice little touch. I, I was celebrating so much at that moment because I was like, thank you. Something, yeah, some sweet. tie to the to the overall plot. I don't know if we mentioned, but throughout the film, Brian calls Australia on these long distance calls just to hear the Australian accent talk about the weather. And so this is like one of the only callbacks in the film. Mm-hmm. And what a grump. The whole movie, the Baywatch, the Baywatch, the Baywatch. And then mm-hmm. it's literally happening and Ben Affleck's like, no, we're not going to go to the Baywatch. He really yeah. does hate his life because that is insane. Right. You think at the end, in the, in the final scene of the movie, he'd be like, you know what? Yeah, Brian, let's go to the yes. Baywatch. But no, he, <laughs> he has thinks. to be fought tooth and nail by like the two of them to, to be able Every to first turn. park and then let him out. And then he calls the DA's office. And, and you think they'd kind of like run to get out of there, but he like takes his time. He just like watches him like hit on the girl. It's like, okay, well, the cops are coming. So you might want to like disappear. Yeah. Yeah. You I mean, did it. You did a kidnapping. You're looking at yeah. serious jail time. <laughs> and so then Larry gives JLo his car and she accepts Very it. Very generous. Very generous. Yeah. Uh, because she's like, I want to get out of here. And he's like, take my car. She's like, no. He's like, yeah, do it. She goes, How okay. How is he escape from the police? <laughs> well, no in, car. The, in the original script, police actually show up and kill him in this scene, which I think makes a lot more sense. Yeah, that does actually. But what happens in the Benefer version of the film, which is to say the version of the film that was influenced by Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez's public relationship, is that she comes back with the car and picks him up and they drive into the sunset together. But not before she tells him that he'd look good in mascara. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so random. I mean, I know what they're trying to do, but it's just like, okay, like you don't have to put him in lipstick. Like sexuality is fluid. Like you don't have to put him in lipstick for you to be able to date him. Well, that, that feeds into the, like, what I was saying, the overall through line in the movie, which is Ben Affleck becoming a woman throughout the movie. Yeah, which again is like a very, I don't know, yeah, incel is not really the right word, but it's a very like toxic masculinity kind of thing. It's like, no, 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 you can't just like get in touch with your feelings. You must become right. a woman, right? Right, that right. is that is the premise of the movie is that if a man is to become in touch with his feelings, he has to become a woman. He can't still be manly and do that. Yeah, impossible. Mutually exclusive. Right. So that's the end of the movie. Bravo. Tessa, do you still feel the same way about it? Yeah, I would say like my expectations were low because I had heard for, you know, for so long that it was such a bad movie. I love the sexual tension. I thought the supporting cast was really great. I thought Brian was like a breath of fresh air. So you thought that this was a respectful portrayal of someone with autism? No, no, no. <laughs> okay, so but he's also a breath it... of fresh air. <laughs> well, like in the world that mm-hmm. it was made in, he was the one you were rooting for. He was the one I like, the character. I thought he was like a good soul, like a good heart, like a character. Right. So you're saying if you can put aside the the, the premise of him wanting to convert a lesbian and Brian's character but, being not an offensive portrayal of someone differently abled, which is two pretty big things to put aside in this movie. You know what I like in my rom-coms? Slurs, both homophobic and ableist. <laughs> yeah, there's a clip that I pulled that I'm not going to play because it's just too off-putting, but Ben Affleck does drop the R slur in a pretty violent fashion in the beginning of the movie. So yeah, I this was a complete mess to me. I think it's probably the second worst movie I've ever seen after The Boondock Saints 2, um, which we also reviewed on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, go check it out. Episode 2. <laughs> and just the, the details being introduced and then never coming back. The love story that I didn't want to buy into at all. Everything about this was horrible. The criminal premise of the movie being so stupid and undermined in the film itself. There's just an endless number of things about this movie that are horrible. And I'm glad that it lost $80 million. <laughs> 
And it's hilarious that this movie is so bad that normally like bad films become kitschy. And I don't know that this movie ever made that leap. No, it, it doesn't quite hit that so bad it's good level. I think for a few reasons. Sometimes it's self-aware, sometimes it's not. So I think like a lot of so bad they're good movies, they're either very, very self-aware that they're camp, something like Batman and Robin or whatever, or they're completely 100% non-self-aware, something like The Room. And this kind of splits the difference between those two things. He's also too long. <laughs> that doesn't help. Yeah, I feel like every time we record, we try and link it to the decade as a whole. Like, what does it say? But how like American Idiot talked about suburban angst and, you know, something like Jackass is like, we all start filming each other at a certain point. I think what's kind of interesting about this one, like the reason I pitched this episode is that this didn't really have a lasting impact. Like, I can't think of movies that are like this necessarily anymore, <laughs> mercifully. <laughs> but I do remember the news cycle around it. I remember jokes about Geely. I, I remember a stupid title, critics saying the, the leads had a lack of chemistry at the peak of the benefit craze, how it lost crazy amounts of money, how it probably played a role in any of the relationship. There, I think there is something kind of inspirational about this, which is you can fail. You can make a terrible movie. You can break up. You can, you know, have your various and sundry struggles and you can still 20 years later get together with the one that got away. <laughs> it's inspirational. Yeah. I mean, their love is a great story. You know? <laughs> yeah. That that I believe in. This, this movie also shows you that you can't fail because it also ended the career of the writer-director Martin Brest. <laughs> I will say the movie was very ambitious. It wanted to talk about a lot of things. Ableism, gender politics, LGBTQ issues, mental health issues, and it just fumbled the ball on every single one of them. <laughs> Well, they, they flew a little too close to the sun. You know, people always say that capitalism is the most efficient economic system we have. It's like the okay, but like they also made Geely for $80 million. <laughs> they decided that this was the most appropriate use of $80 million was to make this movie. Yeah, this is this is capitalism's Ukrainian famine. That's it. Those are all of our thoughts on Geely. Yeah. If you listen, thanks. Like, subscribe, write a review. We are, as I said, we're blowing up. I'm manifesting it. And thank you so much for joining us, Tessa. It's very nice yeah. of you to, to join yeah. us. And to put yourself through this movie. <laughs> Talk about martyrdom. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Cool. Bye. Ciao. <laughs> Without doubt, the worst movie I've ever heard of. But you have heard of me.